In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C Spam meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Biggest topic for me is that it's 60 degrees in February. Can we even? Yeah, that's it's delightful and terrifying at all at the same time, which is how I feel every time there's like a really nice day when it shouldn't be happening. Now that global warming, like you're just you're just kind of like, oh, this is terrible, but today <laughs> I get to enjoy nice weather. I wish we had this on 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 Tuesday yesterday. Did you guys have a nice Tuesday? I was fascinated all day. By the fact that it was 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. I couldn't get over it. I had a childlike wonder about it. Were you guys as like transfixed by by the numerical wonder of yesterday as I was? I couldn't get over it. Truly, yes. I mean, honestly, the cynic in me was like, who gives a uh-huh. fuck about this? Exactly. Like, get over it. It's just a fucking number. And then when then when the morning came, I was like, ah, oh, something special is today. And I'm right. gonna just revel in this slight slightly amusing thing that you know that gives me some some level of like slight enjoyment but then by the end of the day I was like everyone shut the fuck up about this that's true that's true that's like I can't I couldn't go on TikTok for four days when everybody was just saying uncut gems it was enough oh and that that was pretty funny but it was in my head for a while yeah yeah uh, so also Biden came out at 2.22 p.m. yesterday, although technically not in military time, to uh, level more sanctions against Russia. You think there was any hidden meaning in that? Uh, ooh. Um, the hidden meaning is not enough. Sanctions are supposed to be for before you invade. True. Or before True. they invade. Sounds like you agree with Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> did he say that? <laughs> kind did of, he say kind that? Of, his statement kind of says, so let's get into, let's catch up to where we are with this Ukraine-Russia crisis. Vaguely, we're going to do a little a little update at the top, and then we have a really cool segment for the rest of the show where we're going to discuss some Black history and misconceptions with Caitlin. Yesterday afternoon, President Biden officially referred to Russia's actions in eastern Ukraine as an invasion. He's been met with ire from Republicans in Congress for not taking action against Putin sooner with these uh, with these sanctions, but not with uh, not with like the same um, rationale. I'm sure you have, Sammy. But Ted Cruz said over the weekend that Biden becoming president was the best thing for Putin, the best thing ever to happen for Putin, which is weird because Putin wanted Trump to win both in 2016 and 2020. And uh, speaking of Donald Trump, let's listen to his take on Putin's invasion. I went in. Yesterday, and there was a television screen, and I said, this is genius. Putin declares a big portion of the Ukraine, of Ukraine. Putin declares it as independent. Oh, that's wonderful. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, how smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. 
That's the strongest peace force. We could use that on our southern border. By the way, this never would have happened with us had I been in office. Not even thinkable. This would never have happened. And you know what the response was from Biden? There was no response. They didn't have one for that. Now it's very sad. Very sad. So he says, savvy and genius. This lauds it as savvy and genius. And yet somehow Joe Biden is is better for Putin. Thoughts on Donald Trump's analysis? I literally feel, just as you're talking about these topics, I literally feel like a stirring in my chest of anxiety. And here's the thing. Nothing that those Republicans are saying is in good faith. If they actually cared about these sanctions, then they would have been pissed off when Trump did his whole Helsinki thing. They ba- that barely registered. None of that registered during his administration. So like, I don't really care what they say. And all of that is a distraction. Putin, I mean, Biden, I agree. I don't think, I hardly think Biden becoming president was the best thing to happen to Putin. It was definitely worse than the other option, which was his employee, Donald Trump, <laughs> being the president. So no, that's false. Those are all just to like weaken Biden and make him look bad. And it doesn't matter whether he's weakened from the from that direction or the Trump, the Cruz direction or the Trump direction, because none of that is is sane and rational. The truth is Biden should have been tougher on Putin, but uh, he wasn't. So Mitt Romney was right when he said that Russia was our greatest geopolitical foe. And we laughed, but he was right. It was it was true. It's the only time Mitt Romney has been right about anything, let alone versus Barack Obama. But I do have to say that this feels a lot like um, the redux of the Syria um, red line situation where Barack Obama was like, we're setting this line. And then all of a sudden, like Republicans from were like both on both directions were like, you shouldn't go in because it's not worth war with Russia and Syria. And then the others I were like, you should be more aggressive. And I was like, you literally just want to criticize him. Like you don't actually have a solution. It is just about criticizing, which is, this is a, the natural outgrowth of the own the libs, you know, yeah, energy yes, that yes. sitting in, has been sitting inside the Republican Party since Newt Gingrich. Like, Newt yeah. Gingrich was the first one who, like, went straight up and was like, there is no value in anything except owning libs. That's all we need to do. There's, we don't need policy. We don't need coherence. We don't need, I mean, anything like that. We just, we're just going to own libs at all times. And that energy has now manifested into being pro-Putin. Just pro exactly pro this guy who wants to invade other countries. Like it's not even good stuff. They're not even defending like worthwhile things. It's just depressing. As much as it is easy to blame Biden, this this newfound sort of small amount of control that Biden has regained over Putin has only come because there's also the other NATO countries in the EU backing him up and Macron doing this. Um, you know these these talks with him. But that also is only happening because there was a serious renewed threat of invasion. But if they had been arguably not weakened by the last administration, by Brexit, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. if they had been stronger sooner and if the Nord Stream 2 pipeline had not- I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. Had not been able, been allowed to go through, 
that was an Angela Merkel mistake. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking yeah. like this Olaf Scholz is definitely going to get the heat for that. Like, why is Germany, why did they put he's new on the job? I mean, it sounds right. like you you agree with the take that this should have been taken off the table a long time ago. They shouldn't ha- they should have invested in renewed energy, not more yeah. fucking oil from Russia, but like again, that just speaks to the reactivity and backwards thinkingness of you know mm-hmm. the global leadership but what mm-hmm. but all of that would have put us in a better position if all of this had been more unified stronger sooner and if there hadn't been this energy dependence on russia you mean which was if we had been stronger together before <laughs> russia happened i do want to bring up that yes, like we did right. have a candidate who did say in 2016 that like russia was dangerous and had spent maybe time as secretary of state actively going and blocking putin on multiple fronts and had talked about how like they don't believe in fracking but they do think that natural gas has to be the intermediary between like removing people from russian oil dependence in western europe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, until mm -hmm. we can figure out better renewable sources I'm with her. I know. I, I, there's somebody. Yeah. Somebody. I think Germany also specifically like does not do nuclear power at all. So they are like ultra dependent on, on finding energy. But the population had the same response that you did, Sammy, which was like, what are you doing? Like, we can't, we can't, we need an alternative anyway. Why are you building this pipeline that Putin can like s- send dangerous shit through? Right. It's like you want to get off the dependence on oil. So you build another pipeline from right. Russia from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the vibe. what is so complicated about wind and solar and things that you can produce in your own country. Okay, I Be- can't get I think that yeah. one of the the bigger problems is like this is the result of so many smaller things that didn't seem super important at the time and mm-hmm. people were just like kind of discounting and I, I think it's it just speaks to how little results orientation we have in our politics. And it's always about like how people are feeling at the moment. Oh, renewables, we'll get to that. It's like, we should have been doing this 20 plus years ago. Al Gore, I'm so sad. Anyway, the point is that like we had all these warnings about what was going to happen down the line and people just didn't see it as a problem until it's manifested in this very dangerous and frankly, calamitous way. And now everyone's like, oh, we should be. And it's like, well, the discussions were being had, but y'all didn't take them seriously. And you kept electing leaders who did not take them seriously. George W. Bush, an oil and gas man, straight out in 2000. Uh, Donald Trump, there's no reason. To, I don't need to explain why he's a, he's, okay. So you know, like, we, what were we doing to really invest in the future? And it's, it, the biggest problem is like, you know, people can't see past their own noses. It's literally short-sightedness. Well, there's no political incentive to look very far in the future, right? Because everybody's trying to get elected in two years or four years or six years. I know, but it seems weird that we had a political, uh, we had politics that definitely was future thinking. We did. Not very f- long ago. Like yeah. I... There are a lot of problems with Bill Clinton, like a lot, a lot of problems. But it will be said that Name like one. In- no. <laughs> <laughs> How much but, time? But but there, there was still a, a definite idea of like who are we going to be that kind of dissipated right at the end because of the scandals, because of all this other stuff. 
kind of dissipated. It's like, we're fine. And it's like, well, we got here by actively creating the the present. Like someone in the past had to think about what the future was going to look like. The interstate highway system didn't just come into being because they're like, we need cars right at this exact moment, 1954. If we don't have them right at the second, we don't, well, who cares? Who cares what's going to happen 20 years down the line? Like, obviously they were thinking about the future of the country. And now I don't know if we even, it's all presentism all the time. Yeah. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. So speaking of, uh, of looking towards the future, I also want to spend some time today uh, looking honestly at our past, just in time for angry white parents across the country, spending all of their free time removing children's books that reference black people's experiences from public schools and libraries. Just such a noble task, taking books from public schools and libraries. We're going to break down some common misconceptions, myths around Black history. And Caitlin, do you think these like misconceptions are part of what make people so furious when they are corrected that they just can't take it? Yeah, I think it really comes down to the misconceptions are part of building a mythology that kind of exonerates um, white people from the <laughs> consequences of the history 
um, that their ancestors are responsible for. And I weirdly, I don't understand this. There's any, at any moment you can break from that legacy and just go do something else. Like no one's requiring you. No one's being like, your great granddaddy owned slaves. You are directly responsible. You can just be like, I don't want to carry on that legacy. That's not the energy I want to bring to my life. I want to do something better and different. And you could, you could do that at any moment. But for some reason, they decided to just get really mad about it. So here we are. Here we are. Here right. we are. They don't have to be proud of it. You could. You it's could. Just you, so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Could be like, you'd be like, that wasn't great. It also wasn't me. But it's, it also wasn't right. great. It's so like strange to feel so connected to somebody like you said, like great, great, great grandfather who you don't know, feel never going to know anything about. To feel more com- connected to them, like on a personal, feel more connected to them than the people that exist around you currently, than children who are in schools trying to not feel bad. Like it- it's it's pathological. It's pathological. But we're going to unpack some of these, right. some of these myths. So um, it was also just sort of interesting, you know, Caitlin and I going back and forth on the questions, like definitely how some of these misconceptions inform how we how we approach even talking about them. So the first one, misconception, blanket statement. Slavery wasn't the cause of the Civil War. There were economic reasons. There were economic motivations for the Civil War. It was not all about slavery. True or false? Well, slavery was an economic motivation. Like, isn't that there sort we go. of the <laughs> Oh. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly the case. Like, basically, I think it's really hard for people to understand, like, how embedded slavery was in the economy like was the economy the largest class of assets larger than all of the mills all of the industry all of the railroads all of the economic activity in the north was slaves like in the country there was no larger asset class it was the bedrock of i mean the raw materials to to feed the industrial revolution that was happening in the United States, that was all enslaved people. So like there was a huge, 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 huge market for slavery. It was deeply embedded to the degree that there were any economic reasons. It was y'all are going to fuck up our (laughs) slave market. Like it was a multi-billion dollar human trafficking system. That's the best way of thinking about it. Um, and it would be equivalent today to someone being like, let's just give up like computers. Like, let's just like, because they didn't think of enslaved people as human. So it would be like, if you were like, okay, well, let's just give up on the internet. Like, let's close it all down. Let's, let's liberate it. And then, like, people would be like, excuse me, you, you want what? How much of my life is based off of people being on the internet? Think about yeah, that. I feel, yeah. Think about that equivalent. It sounds like people that enslaved people were just like they were unskilled. <laughs> they couldn't make the stuff. Like they were like the, they couldn't do anything. So they needed people that they didn't pay, like you said, to make the stuff to sell to have an economy in the first place. Well, that's why yeah. they had to use the Bible as a justification that like people were lesser, so that they had mm-hmm. a basis to enslave them. But but also, yes, the slave trade was an economy, but also it was one that enables all of the other economies to work like imagine if mm-hmm. like imagine if like betches just didn't have to pay any of its employees like it would right. cost That's nothing I, yeah. to run yeah. betches like it would just be like all profit you know because what would you what would you have to pay for but then like to to bring that further if then suddenly we all left you wouldn't be able to fulfill obligations to pay your bills 
Exactly. Like with the three of you, which is. Right. But it's like also then you don't really have a company if you're not paying the costs of having. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think that's right. It's like an economic confusion that they they then justified biblically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I also it's interesting to point out that even with all of this, even with enslaved people making up the the largest asset class in the United States before 1860, even with all of that, the South was really poor. <laughs> like it was because they never bothered developing anything else because they had this huge thing that they were doing, this human trafficking system that they were very involved with, and it wasn't actually making them richer. And that's part of the reason that they were so invested in maintaining it was because they didn't have any alternative from their perspective. So so they really were obsessed in a, a really obviously toxic way because they started shooting people. <laughs> right, right. Well, <laughs> and this brings us perfectly into the next one, which is that I guess there's this idea that slavery would have died out on its own, that it would have come to some sort of, I guess, natural conclusion, but slavery is not natural anyway. What do you make of that? Without a war over it, without a war over it, fast forward, it still would have been, the practice would have ended anyway. No. Are you kidding me? What? Just pointing out the obvious, anybody who's willing to literally fight a war like go and kill people because they thought they lost an election that That's might sign it takes a might, war <laughs> might just limit it to where it already exists that is the only thing that like it was promising he's like i'm just saying we shouldn't expand it and these people were like okay time to kill motherfuckers it's time let's like t- take out the 12 gauge like i was like he just said that he wants you to keep the, what you already have they were like it, it can't continue to survive unless we can expand it. So they were obsessed with expanding it um, and it would definitely not have died out on its own. Yo, did you know that they installed three different governments in Honduras trying to make slavery expand? Do you know they twice tried to invade Cuba to get slaves into Cuba? This was the 1850s. This was not like, people were like, oh man, that must have been, no, 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 no. Like right up to the civil war, they were like, invade other countries, put some slaves there. Let's do this. Were there leaders in the North maybe at the time who were like, let's let it die out. We hate this, but let it die out. Was that like a prevalent at the time? Um, What they thought was that like Southerners were wild, but they were going to be fine ultimately. Like they honestly didn't think it was going to die out necessarily. Um, But it was interesting that they were just kind of like, Eh, we're making our money. They're making their yeah. money. I know that yeah. they get a little wild at times, but the truth is, is that like it will happen in its own time. They didn't really think it was necessarily going to die out, but they were definitely not going to do anything to upset the apple cart, as it were. Why would it die out? I mean, I think the important thing, like when you're looking, is always you have to look at people's incentives and motivation, and like the the fact that like the only answer you need to the question of like did it need a war is the fact that they started a war like if people are willing to go to war it's gonna it's gonna take a war but let's let's go to after the war another myth is that ending slavery made black people free all of them instantaneous free well aside from the fact that very obviously um people maintain systems to trap um black people in servitude I mean, that's part of the reason when when going back to that previous question, like black people weren't free even after they were emancipated. So why would you think slavery was going to die out? 
you wackos. Anyway, the point is that like <laughs> it didn't obviously it didn't free black people. Um, and the Emancipation Proclamation only counted for uh, uh, enslaved people and union occupied territory that was an active rebellion, which meant that border states, Kentucky, um, certain parts of Tennessee, um, uh, Maryland, Delaware, who else was a border state? I know these, I know these things. Um, Missouri, well, what aspects of Missouri were still under union control? These places did not actually um, have it apply. So only like the deep South ended up with um, enslaved people who were freed by the, the proclamation at the same time, the 13th amendment obviously had that little condition in it about <laughs> for crimes. So we still have a, our mass incarceration system is a basically not too different from plantation slavery. It's not chattel because it's not generational. Um, and of course you, people are released from prison. So they're released, released from labor, but we basically, yeah, we're, we've been doing it. And they created new ways of basically reconstructing that system. Uh, sharecropping was a big one. And that will continue way into the 20th century. Like sharecroppers were basically slaves, basically slaves. And I was just looking at the Voting Rights Act and Bloody Sunday, which is the research project I'm doing on my Patreon. And... Um, and literally, there was an article in the New York Times about sharecroppers who were trying to organize to get even the basic needs met because they were just living on, like, literal slave shacks. No no running water, no heat, no insulation, no nothing. Just these shacks where they were constantly in debt to their landlords. And they literally could not afford basic things. They would get take loans out from their landlords for basic needs. So that was 1965. I don't know if you have a parent that was born by then, but chances are you know somebody who was alive. Technically, our president was like 20 years old, I think. So, yeah. Wow. That's how late it's been going. So I want to move into our next kind of like misconceptions and myth deal in kind of how Black history and some of the leaders have been sanitized for a particular audience or a particular reason. But there's this idea that like Black Americans didn't fight back against Jim Crow until the civil rights movement and that it was always nonviolent and that there was no means taken to protect oneself. And uh, is that accurate? Um, I'd say it's about as accurate as saying that, uh, you know, the, the, the Holocaust was perpetrated with no pushback. Um, it's about about equivalent ridiculousness there. Like, obviously, people fight for their own dignity um, at all times. And Black people have been doing it. I mean, Harriet Tubman was straight up a union spy. So, like, when you think about it, there never been a time when people have not been in resistance to systems that want to oppress them. Um, and <laughs> the nonviolence of it all. I mean, that kind of ignores, like, Red Summer. It ignores um, a lot of times when Black people... I mean, the nonviolent movement was definitely a change in tactics. That was a discussion where it was like, we're actively going to go this other direction um, because we, we need to figure, we're not going to win a shooting war. That was always the understanding that black people had. 
right? Which is like, if it comes down to guns, we are not going to win a shooting war. Um, but it definitely, I mean, black people joined the Union Army, like tons and tons. And Frederick Douglass lobbied very hard for black soldiers uh, because people want to pick up a gun <laughs> and defend their freedom. Um, so, yeah. 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 It's been going on the whole time. Another one is like this idea that MLK Jr. was as revered at the time he was alive as he is now. And I feel like now it's more broadly known that he was not um, considered a friend. They did a lot of shady shit with Martin Luther King Jr. Was he well regarded? Was the government, were they besties? Yeah, you know, he and J.G. Edgar Hoover were just like hanging out on Tuesdays, just uh, Taco Tuesdays. (laughs) 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 Best friends forever. (laughs) <laughs> no, obviously not. I'm kind of intrigued, though, um, whether or not like you guys growing up kind of heard different things uh, about MLK, I guess, because I, I want to to kind of respond more directly to like, like w- what the teaching is. I mean, I was I watched Eyes on the Prize at three, so I, I've never been inundated with any myths. I think MLK was always just, it was very conspicuous that he was the only person ever presented to us, which as you learn more about how the government kind of was very suspicious of him and like the FBI spied on him is very, is very strange that even, even the one person that was deemed safe to present to us all the time was like considered villainous at the time. It's also like the history of MLK, I think was sort of like whitewashed or like peace washed a little bit. Because I feel like my earliest like history lessons that were taught was that like MLK pursued like civil disobedience and like nonviolent protest. And then Malcolm X was very much like more pro-violence. And I like that I remember as being sort of like the two things that were taught to us. As like good and bad. Yeah. Or like the two ways that you can try to achieve uh, peace. But What did, like, most white people think of integration and the civil rights movement at the time, like, aside from what the government was was doing? Um, well, you know, there were opinion polls that came out and basically um, two thirds of white people thought that MLK's protests were harmful to black equality. Just to be clear, about 60 Anywhere between 60 and 65% of white people were like, nah, we're not cool with what he's doing. So there's about a 35 to 40%. Well, about 30%. Because then there's like 10% who are like, I don't know. I don't care about black people. Yeah. You have, to won- you have to wonder <laughs> if it's sort of analogous to um, how a lot of white people or just people in general say um, that defund the police is, you know, harmful to, like, progress, you know, Democrats getting elected. And, like, maybe, here's the thing, maybe it is, but the idea of defunding the police, not so much, maybe. So it's interesting to me that, like, we continue having this argument when, like, if you actually go and read the I Have a Dream speech, one of the most frequent things that comes up is police brutality. And... This is a problem, obviously, that is decades old. People are acting like, oh, man, this is just new because we've come up with this new slogan, like, or it's just mass incarceration since the 80s. Like, no, 
this has been a problem going back like 70, 80. I mean, I don't know when there was a good time for black people and police. There's just never been a good time. Also, police are like super famously corrupt, like until like Serpico is a whole thing. People not people not aware of that. Anyway, the point is, is that like there was a very long record of police brutality and black people. Um, and as I'm I'm here, like researching, going back through the actual news articles written at the time that King was operating and wow, <laughs> the Southern police departments in particular were very active in making sure that they upheld white supremacy by any means necessary. I mean, I'm reading about Bloody Sunday, and one of the things that they did was prevent newspaper people or anyone who's covering from following their basic, like, they basically just, like, ran down, mowed down unarmed people and just beat them savagely. There were two skull fractures that they were aware of, including, of course, John Lewis. Um, I mean, these were just unarmed people who were going to go for a long walk to dramatize their interest in, in fighting for their own right to vote, which is, should have been guaranteed a century earlier. And it just it just immediately, like, the police were like, cool, do it. But the thing that really threw me off was the crowd of cheering white civilians that I feel like got missed somehow when we talk about these moments. And it's like, yeah, the police are doing what their constituents want them to because their constituents are not black people. Yeah, they don't get missed. I think they're <laughs> intentionally <laughs> omitted. But our last one here is like another, I think it's sort of, you start to realize that the myths that we've been told are not true about black history in general and how these like, these things were resisted. But again, like with MLK, you're like, okay, but I guess Rosa Parks and MLK were the ones that everyone was was, was fine with and were completely pure in their eyes. But also there's more behind Rosa Parks' story than she just spontaneously decided on her own, made an individual decision to remain at the front of the bus and was the first person to do that. She wasn't necessarily the first. There was kind of a trial run and this was like a coordinated effort, right? Yes. The NAACP... Um had a very coordinated effort in uh, in basically what happened was as we emerged in the post-war years, sorry, I'm going to get a little boring, but like in the post-war, post-war years, there came a strategy um, to kind of coordinate an effort legally and at, at the grassroots to challenge these laws and to they, so the first thing that they would do is they'd pick somebody to challenge it and then they would bring suit and that was kind of the plan. And then like organize around the, the backlash. Um, and this was a, a very explicit strategy. This was why Thurgood Marshall was doing what he did. I mean, it's the same thing with Brown v. Board of Education. They literally would have like individual parents. They, they got a group across the country to do it. And then they, they basically attacked and then got the backlash. So... Um, for the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, um, initially they started with Claudette Colvin, who was a, at the time, a pregnant teenager. And she was the first person who decided not to get up. Um, but they thought for image reasons, it wasn't going to work as well. Um, and she only recently, I, I mean this very recently, like December 2021, had her record expunged for being arrested and convicted <laughs> of breaking segregation laws. Yeah, she's only 82. 
Yeah. Just just to be clear, she's about the same age as like Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Yeah. Two paths yeah. diverged so, in a wood. Like, all Ugh. of these people people keep trying to like it's always black and white photos. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. wow, that's so long ago. It's like, bitch, am I still alive? Right. Hundred of Ruby Bridges is just just qualified for yeah. social security. They have Instagrams. <laughs> They're here. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I feel like we were taught. Like, I feel like my first impression of Rosa Parks was that she was just really tired and her feet hurt and she was just like, had it. Like, And she was just like, today I'm going to stand up. Not that it was like a well-coordinated activist effort taken painstakingly with so many risks calculated and and yet it's taught almost like a whim- whimsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it one of the things that it does is like it removes black people's agency totally. in like challenging these systems and it also uh, it just makes segregation seem like a small thing like oh mm-hmm. you yeah. know she just decided like one day she just didn't want to do it anymore. And that's yeah. all these other totally. people just were totally fine being oppressed for years but totally. she right. didn't. And it's like right. <laughs> and it has no and it, and the through line between civil you know the civil war and reconstruction to policing and incarceration is also not addressed at all um so it's never it's very much just sort of taught as these like anecdotal vignettes of resistance and like which what sort of outlines of resistance are okay and what are not rather than yeah harriet tubman is not educated as an activist so i'm gonna definitely read more Mm -hmm. about that but because she's it's sort of like oh she just like did the railroad like not yeah they're taught as like oh they went about it in the polite way and that's why they were successful that's sort of how it's framed totally and that's not true and also like obviously fuck politeness like the thing the example you made before what what oppressed group would just sit around and take all of that yeah and the one thing i do want to point out is like it's what happens is, is like the story gets compacted. So like Rosa sit like sits down at the front and doesn't get up, and then then they 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 rally for a bit, and segregation ends on buses. Yeah, y'all. It was a year of fighting the Montgomery bus boycott. At the end, the company decided to go bankrupt rather than actually desegregate, and there were at least four fire bombings of people's houses garages cars because the black community had to organize alternatives to buses and one of the ways that they they were attacked for that was to have their houses set on fire and their garages set on fire so they couldn't get cars and they couldn't use other means this was a year-long campaign before there was even a crack in that foundation so like what happens is like you're kind of like oh rosa did this and then there was freedom like y'all this was a brutal campaign and people were willing to kill people, mm-hmm. including setting off bombs in front of people's porches to make it stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think you said we successfully made an episode today that would be banned in any red state elementary school. Yeah. That was the goal, isn't it? <laughs> that, that was the goal. The goal. That was the goal. I mean, aside from the cursing. <gasps> True. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you guys. The cursing is more offensive to to the parent, to the angry white parents, than, or less offensive than, than the actual facts of the episode. That is, is there our a way show we today. Can airdrop it to like 
you know, every school <laughs> district in Tennessee. Well, ooh, we should just make it a QR code yeah. and just put it up all around Tennessee and Mississippi. Yeah. Let's do it. Just that sneak it fun. into that Coinbase like NFL. Yeah. Yes, kids come home, like kindergartners come home, like, mom, did you know about Claudette Colvin? Yeah. It also, we could also maybe get it into, you know, like the U2 albums that were forced to be on, <laughs> on your, your early Apple music. We could just force this episode on too. I mean, Tim Cook, if you're listening, if you're listening, that is our show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.